Hey, it's good to be here with you. I want to take a few minutes to begin with, as Dr. Ewart mentioned, talking about the Hunt Scholars Program. Um, this is a program <clears throat> that's designed for young people, young students, young men, who are called specifically to pastoral ministry. And, you know, I didn't grow up knowing that God had called me to be a pastor. I didn't grow up going to high school saying, yep, God's called me to be a pastor. But remarkably, what we've seen is a trend that younger and younger, we're, we're recognizing that, that young men have an understanding and a discernment of God's call in their life. And when we give them the opportunity to say yes to that, they then are looking for direction and training. And so what, one of the things we've developed here at Southeastern is a five-year program where a student can come and get their B.A., and their MDiv in five years. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, went, I did my MDiv, it was 96 hours. Now they've trimmed it down and cut, you know, cut some of the stuff out, and it's 81 hours. Uh, but it's a journey to do uh, an undergrad and an MDiv. But with this program, they can get uh, a, a BA and a, an MDiv in five years. But it's specifically designed for pastoral ministry. It's a residential-only program. Some of the strengths of the program are built on the cohort model that the students go through the program through all five years together. We provide for them a unique experience where they get exposure to ministry leaders that are on campus when they're on campus, whether it be chapel speakers, conference speakers. Uh, they have the opportunity to participate in some of the uh, larger conventions like the SBC and to network and to be exposed into some uh, conversations as well as some uh, personal interaction with some leaders, some trainers, those that they can learn ministry from and they can begin to network with. And so we, we've really uh, gained some traction and momentum in this program. There's some folders that, that kind of summarize everything I could tell you uh, that you can read through and peruse at your own um, discretion. And, 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 and Forrest Moss, who's back here, he helps me direct the program, and he's back here, and he's got those available. And if you're interested in that, he can certainly, you can wave your hand, and he can bring it to you. If not, we're going to leave them outside available to you uh, over the next day and a half to where you can pick those up. Uh, but we want you to understand that our heart in this program is to develop and to take a pastoral investment approach into these young men as they're called to pastoral ministry to train them, to disciple them, to mold them, to steer them, and to help uh, mobilize them. Uh, into the churches in the area. And so uh, really you could be a strategic partner not only in continuing to carry forward the, the, um, the program itself and being promotional advertisement saying to your pastors and to young men in your association, hey, have you heard about this program? But also, if you know of different churches who are looking for leaders, young leaders, young students who can serve in various capacities or what have you, uh, this program actually features a couple of missions and, and local church uh, practicums that we can help assign them for, they can earn credit for, but in the meantime, they can be go, go ahead and begin to get some local church experience. So, uh, obviously, there's savings and there's some benefits, but you can read all about those. Uh, in, in the information packet if you'd like it. But we're really excited about that program. I'm honored to, to be a part of that and to help lead that. And so I just share that with you and commend that to you as something you can take and begin to help us uh, recruit young leaders to come and to get some, some sound, solid, biblical training uh, for ministry. Now, as I start kind of the conversation about leadership development within the association, I want to kind of start with you, uh, start by asking us all a, to consider a question. It's a question I had to ask myself when we began designing and talking about this conference. When you think of leadership development within the context of an association, what does that mean to you? Now, I'm asking in a way that this is the audience participation portion of the show, okay? So what does it mean in your mind when you think, okay, what am I looking to hear right now? What am I going to be listening for? What do I, you know, correlate in, in my own mind, in my own context, in my own responsibilities with the concept of leadership? What comes to your mind? Church staff and church ministry leaders. Oh. Okay, so helping church staff and church leaders to be in ministry development and leadership development. What else? To mentor one another, okay? And to mentor pastors, somebody said, I think I heard somebody say mentor pastors and to mentor one another. Okay, good. What else? Anybody? Go ahead. Okay, so to expand the scope of discipleship amongst leaders. Okay, good. Okay. Developing within their association that they can then multiply. Okay, great. Church planting. 
Church planting is it would definitely be a part of it. Anybody else? Anybody think of that? Go ahead. Okay, so that. Okay, good. So kind of the NQ type of format and funnel that's pouring, uh, you know, kind of training and preparing people. Anybody think about um, those those churches that find themselves at a disadvantage? You know, whether it be in terms of membership numbers, finances, maybe it be in terms of the situation or circumstances they just went through, and you're thinking, man, what they really need right now is leadership. They need leadership. All of these things. Now, I want you to think about how, in, in some ways, uh, splintered those descriptions of various forms of leadership are because you recognize in your position as an associational mission strategist, you recognize that there's not just a simple form of leadership, but there's lots of different avenues of leadership that are required from you and that you'd look to develop whether that be in, in church planting, whether that be in a pipeline of young leaders, whether that be in networking churches and allowing young leaders growing up within churches to then transition into other churches within the association. All those things are various strands of leadership, and they really have a different form of leadership. And so what I've done, because quite honestly, when we talked about leadership development, I thought, gosh, I could go any one of 10 or more different directions with this. So what I did is I came up with, with a few categories of leadership to help talk us through and maybe guide us through the conversation a little more carefully and closely to where you can understand, okay, that's the type of leadership we're talking about when we're referencing those things. This is one element of leadership. Because if, if you're like me, a lot of times, if you know I've got all these responsibilities, if you don't have the structure and the infrastructure, even in your own mind mentally, of how you think about those things, you get overwhelmed. So we're going to talk about different forms and elements and aspects of leadership within the associational missions uh, strategist kind of component and, and position. And then we're going to kind of flesh those out and maybe see how they um, uh, transfer into your particular context. All right. So the first one that you see up there and, and in your uh, uh, packet there is we're going to talk about some scriptural leadership. Now, this is just the basic form of what associational mission strategists are. Right. If I was to ask you, if you were to introduce yourself to someone and you were and you were going to describe to them, hey, what do you do? And you didn't just now say I'm a DOM, which I'm still uh, adjusting to not using that terminology. But if you don't say, well, I'm not just a director of missions. I'm an association mission strategist. And they said, that's interesting. What does that mean? How would you describe yourself? Well, these are the elements of leadership that you would say. These are the scriptural forms and aspects of leadership. These are the timeless principles uh, that may be context-specific for you, but they're general enough to where they all relate to us and we all can understand them. All you have to do is read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament, specifically the greeting or the farewell, and you begin to see the role of an association mission strategist. You begin to see him greet and acknowledge different people who have been instrumental in the ministries there in those local churches. You begin to see him affirm and encourage and uplift those who are serving in those particular contexts. You begin to see him operate this way and tell them, hey, I want you to coordinate with this church. I want you to talk to that person. I want you to welcome this person in your fold. I want you to acknowledge what they've been for me and what they can be for you. All of those things in the greetings and the farewells of Paul's epistles point to us in what some ways you guys serve as, particularly in your role. How would you describe this? Well, one, by helping churches collaborate in ministry. Helping churches collaborate in ministry, that's the nature of an association, right? You look at your association, which is a group or collective uh, whole of, of uh, churches in a geographic region or location, and it's how can we help them collaborate with one another as they're serving this same community. And doing ministry within the community it looks a little bit different than what maybe a broader picture as you kind of zoom out would be, and that would be helping churches to cooperate in missions. Right? We can't just remove the missions component of it or leave missions so uh, centralized locally in the area. But how are we mobilizing as association mission strategists, how are we mobilizing them to go beyond our community? And so if you look at your role and you were to try to summarize, hey, this is what I'm doing, the scriptural leadership that we see best modeled from, from Paul and some of the other apostles and definitely the narrative and acts and all these different things, is they were helping churches collaborate in ministry and helping them cooperate in missions. By the way, I would have to say that this would be in some ways a summary of why our convention even exists. 
right? That is the SBC, helping churches cooperate and collaborate in missions and ministry. That's it, right? But let's dig down deeper into some more of the pragmatic or practical aspects of leadership and what that looks like uh, in your world. Next type of leadership I want you to look at or think about with me is strategic leadership. Strategic leadership. When we say strategic leadership, we're talking about, oh, yeah, I thought you were, uh, you were shaking your pen. I thought you were pointing at me. Hey, the screen's on. Strategic leadership, what we're describing here is um, as you think about where you're going, where you're heading, as you sit down in your office and you pray, as you dream, as you look at your area, as you recognize where God's called you, what does that mean? You can define it by the individual churches in your association, or you can see it as a collective whole of what the association in general is supposed to be. But as you zoom in and zoom out, as you look at the local churches, the individual bodies, and as you zoom back out to the holistic thing, what is your role in helping them? Well, one thing that you're required to do and maybe will help you think through your leadership is capturing a vision for your community. Capturing a vision for your community. When you think about your association, a lot of times we can think about the specific larger churches. Sometimes we think about those outlier or smaller churches. But think about your community, what you might call your town proper, right? So if you were to think about, and I'll just use this example because this is where we're sitting today, if you were thinking about Wake Forest proper, this is the community. I'm not just talking about the area where we would call Heritage, which is a local neighborhood and community that has its own high school, its own middle school, its own elementary school. I'm not just talking about Wakefield, which is another community here in the area that has its own high school and middle school and elementary school. I'm talking about all of those combined together in the community. Dream big. Get a vision. What does God calling us to do as an association on a broader, bigger scale? And too many times I think we zoom in and become so narrowly focused on the individual churches and the, the surrounding areas. But when you think about Acts 1-8, which is the familiar passage we would all associate with the Great Commission, we recognize that there are concentric circles of expansion, right? In Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And as those things expand, what you end up realizing is the whole book of Acts expands that way. And so many times we're focused on Jerusalem, and we never make it out of Acts chapter 7, to be honest with you, in our ministry models. We've got to zoom out further and keep going further and beyond and allow the concentric circles to expand to where you capture a vision for your community. Think about this, practically speaking. Have you ever looked at a demographic map and recognized how strategically certain churches are located? If you were to look at this church's influence and how broad they were, because every church ought to be thinking things like, hey, have we knocked on every door within three miles of our church? Okay, well, if you as an associational mission strategist were to outline that, how far would the circles overlap? Where would those overlapping circles become, uh, how could they become strategic ministry concepts for you as you visualize for your community? As you look at that and say, hmm, how could those two churches in particular partner together since they're in, in such close proximity? And then if you look at different anchor churches within the association, you say, well, hey, they're not necessarily located within three miles of one another, depending on the size of your town, depending on the size of your association. They're not located within three miles of one another, but you know what? They form kind of an anchor grid around the, the county and around the association that helps us say, okay, this is going to be kind of the the anchor church that I lean on in this area or maybe mobilize from. This is going to be the anchor church. We've got to begin to think this way. And too many times we either think as one big clump, which is just kind of like a big thing of Play-Doh. It's just kind of moldy and mushy, and I don't really have any structure or form to it. Or we think so small and individual that we miss, God, what is your vision for our community? And you've got to communicate this to pastors. Have the pastors begun to think beyond their own ministry circles? And many pastors would say, man, listen, I'd love to. That sounds idealistic, and, and, and that would be awesome. But I can't think past next Tuesday night's deacons meeting. And you get it, but guess what? That's what your role is. It's to help them think through that and then communicate so that they don't have to. Now, all of a sudden, it's not so big. It's not so unthinkable. It's not so idealistic because you've done it for them, and you can explain it to them in a simple lunch meeting or a casual conversation over the phone or in talking through in, a, in, a, in an associational meeting different things with different churches. All of these things are possible if you'll capture a vision for your community. Once you capture the vision for the community, that's where it transitions into casting a vision for the churches. 
getting that holistic plan together understanding which churches are going to be the best partners by the way sometimes that's not always geographically strategic sometimes that can actually be doctrinally strategic they, they're like-minded they operate with the same evangelistic heartbeat others have different doctrinal kind of points of emphasis and you may say you know what they may clash or you may say you know what they really need to balance each other out they need each other. And so as you think of that holistic plan, as you capture that vision for the community, begin to cast that vision for your churches. When you think about vision for a church, I'm not talking about the pastoral vision that's not yours or mine to have for a church. That's not pastor's responsibility or that team of pastor's responsibility. That's not yours or my responsibility. But our responsibility can be to help that pastor see his vision lived out in partnership and in connection with other surrounding churches, knowing what their visions are. Well, guess who's going to be the one who can liaison and coordinate and understand what the different visions are from the different churches based on personal conversations with the different pastors? Sounds like an associational missions strategist job description to me. Right? This is part of leadership, strategic leadership, thinking through these things in a, in a, a specific way. Let's look at the third uh, type of leadership or umbrella that we might consider, and that's what I would call spiritual leadership. Some of the things you mentioned earlier on were, were that personal uh, uh, type of interaction where you are developing. And I know Dr. Shaddix just spent uh, some time talking about discipleship and training disciples and raising up disciples and pouring into disciples. And that's the type of spiritual leadership that I'm talking about here. Because some of your ministry, and you're all mission-hearted, many of you have, have served uh, as, as pastors uh, before, or maybe still serving bivocationally as a, as a pastor now, but in those things, we're looking for kind of the spiritual leadership, and this is your heart. It's to, to help, to come alongside, and I want to give you just a couple of different ways where you can offer some spiritual leadership to the, the pastors and the churches in your area. One way is to offer leadership to, to encourage pastors, right, to, to up, uplift them. To, to build them up. You know, I think of, and I mentioned some of these different greetings along the way, but I think of how Paul greeted the Romans in Romans chapter 1. And after kind of making over the salvation and rejoicing in the common faith they shared, he, he talked about uh, wanting to, to come and to, to build them up, that in, in his words, that their faith might be mutually beneficial for one another. That they would mutually build one another up. That's some of what your role is, is to encourage other pastors and to lift them up, to come and bring a, a, a word of, of um, comfort, of love, of joy, of hope. Because there's a lot of pastors in your associations that are probably struggling with that. There's a lot of pastors who are overwhelmed by the circumstances, whether it be in their own personal life and they don't have anybody else they can talk to, or whether it be in their church life and they're, they're, they're you know, kind of putting out fires you know, among the deacons or among the Sunday school leadership or among all these different pockets where those things kind of form. You need to exercise some spiritual leadership and, and understand that part of our role is to encourage pastors. Another type of spiritual leadership that you can offer is leadership to help equip pastors. Now, this is some of what we've talked about uh, as it relates to the discipleship elements. And some of what you shared is, hey, how can I be a resource for you? When you look at different ways to equip pastors, I want you to think of the different oh, I don't know, um, places in ministry where the pastors in your associ association may be. If you could visualize and think of the, the pastors that are on your list of churches, and if you were to think of them and, and you were to identify who's the youngest pastor on that list. Some of you in this room may be the youngest pastor on that list. But who are the youngest pastors uh, on that list? Right? And think about what do they need most? Think about what that, those days were like when you were young and in ministry and, and your, your uh, family had you know, multiple children in diapers perhaps or you were struggling just to make ends meet and you don't ever necessarily grow out of that. But when you're, you begin to, you're struggling just to make, and you can relate to and you can understand and you can empathize with them or perhaps they're young and, and they just don't understand why the, the deacon body doesn't get it or they just don't understand uh, why they're getting pushed back on this idea. They just don't understand why this discipleship class hasn't taken off. They just don't understand and they need some help and seeing the bigger picture. They need some help navigating uh, kind of the, the rocks that are in the, in the bay. You can help encourage and equip younger pastors, those who are inexperienced. Maybe it's not the youngest pastor on your list. Maybe you can think about the newest pastor. 
all right, the one that's newest to your area? Does he know any of the other pastors in the area? Can you help connect them? When you think about the, uh, the, the newest pastor of the area, does he even necessarily know his way around? Now, your job is not necessarily to tell him what churches to watch out for. Right, stay away from that guy. If we come to the meeting and he chimes up, you know, just ignore his barking, and that's just how ooh and how he is. You know, not necessarily do that. Although there may be some potholes you need to alert them to. Okay, we get that. But are you looking for ways to help ingrain them into the association? So many times the, the younger pastors are actually looking for help or collaboration in ministry. Many times the newer pastors to the area uh, may not have kind of a, a lay of the land, and you can help them with that. Look for the newer pastors in the area. Uh, all kinds of different elements or aspects as you think about the pastors on your list. How can you help equip them? What tools, what resources, what experience, what knowledge, what insight, what do you have that you can offer them? You have the responsibility to help equip pastors. So it's not just to encourage pastors and to equip pastors, but let's talk about leadership that will help the established pastors. I mentioned some of the newer pastors or some of the younger pastors, but what about established pastors? How can you help connect them to the younger pastors in your area that they might pull into? If we're talking about how we're going to raise up and train up the leaders in the association for the years and the decades and the seasons to come, how can we kind of connect the older, more seasoned pastors? You know, a lot of times, um, if you've been a pastor for any length of time, you realize this. A lot of times what becomes uh, a dry season of ministry is when you feel like you have lost your personal avenues for investment in others. And sometimes when you're in a church and the church grows or, or things begin to run smoothly, you find yourself kind of in an isolated pocket. This is why uh, preaching becomes so joyful for you because you know that's at least one avenue that I can just scratch the itch. I can minister to people. I can love on people. But as your staff grows or even as your church grows and the ministries come, come established, you all of a sudden feel like I'm not quite as close or I don't have as many personal relationships as I once did. Well, veteran pastors, established pastors can find themselves in that position. And what they may be looking for or what maybe you have as an opportunity for them is to introduce them to a younger pastor where they can kind of, I don't know, I'll say it this way and hopefully you understand what I mean, pastor by proxy, right? They can help pour into a younger pastor and they can help do what you can't do for every church in your association. You know, I'm sitting here telling you, hey, listen, are you mentoring? Are you encouraging? Are you equipping? You're like, man... I've got this many churches in my association. We've got 36 churches in my association. Yeah, but have you allowed or maybe in, in enabled in some way some of the established pastors to connect with and begin to disciple the younger pastors? Maybe that's not your role. Maybe that's their role. And that may be something they're actually looking for and longing for because they've grown to a place in their ministry where they, they don't have that, that connection anymore, that ministry avenue of discipleship. Let me give you one other um, way that you can consider uh, spiritual leadership, and that would be leadership to help ethnic pastors. Leadership to help ethnic pastors. I mean, quite honestly, uh, when you look at associations and churches within an association, typically churches, just like people, it's human nature, they just associate with those that are most like them. Well, what that does is it ostracizes those who are in a minority of some kind. And when you look at ethnic pastors in our association, if we're going to create kingdom diversity, if we're going to help unite and equip churches to become more diverse in their ministries, one of the ways we can do that is if we'll help our ethnic pastors connect to the established pastors and the other pastors in the community and in the association. Becoming intentional in doing that is something that we have to take seriously. And we have to take a, a step, an intentional step to say, I need to do that. There are some levels of unfamiliarity that I'm going to have to overcome or adjust to. There's some unfamiliarity that I'm going to help other pastors adjust to. And in doing so, what we see is, is a network that will then ultimately begin to reflect the kingdom as God intended it to be. That which is diverse, that which is beautiful, that which is multi-ethnic. And one, some of the times I think when we look at the pastors in our associations that they kind of become outliers, it's those minority or those ethnic pastors that don't necessarily look like all the other pastors in our association. 
right? So think about spiritual leadership in those different categories and in those ways, including them in the association, partnerships, how they can collaborate in missions in those various ways. Fourth type of leadership we're going to talk about briefly is servant leadership. Now, this is the one that you expected when you started seeing all the S's with leadership. You thought, well, servant leadership should have been number one. That's the, that's the easiest one. But I want to ask you a question that's probably going to be hard to answer and maybe hard to hear in some ways. Do pastors in your association view you as a supply line or a drain line? When I say that, I, I mean that with, with sincerity and love for you. But do pastors, when they get a message that their DOM or their AS, AMS has, has called and left them a message, do they think, oh, what does he want now? Now, some of what we've talked about, you're trying to help them resource. You're trying to help them understand what they can give and how they can partner. And it may require sacrifice or these types of things from their churches uh, or from their own time. But do you see the strategy and the understanding that your role as a servant leader is one who is coming alongside to assist them? You're coming to supply something and provide something for them. Do they see you as a resource where they say, I'm so glad you came because I've got something I need? Or they look at you and say, you're coming with that same line to them. It's not that you'll never go to a, a, a pastor in your area with an ask. Of course you will, right? Of course you will. That's part of the responsibilities that we've been talking about. But that shouldn't be every time you go to them. We all know what it's like for the phone to ring, the caller ID to be there, and you say, the only time that person calls me is when they need something. Don't let that be how your pastors in your association see you. That's not done intentionally. That's not done because you want to be that way. That, but it happens. It happens. So be mindful of that. Well, how can you overcome that? Right? How do we, how do we overcome that? So one way is by personal involvement with your pastors slash and or churches. Personal involvement with them. This goes beyond just maybe a personal conversation or personal relationship, although that's the foundational part of it. But have you taken some personal involvement in those churches in, in their life? Have you offered them something? Hey, what do you need? Is there something I could do for you? Is there something that would lighten your load? Is there something that, 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 that the association make it up? You say, well, if I do that, other churches are going to expect the same thing. I know. But shouldn't they be able to? This is what we're, we're here to serve churches, right? And if we're going to serve churches, we have to recognize that I have to extend myself, personal investment in their churches, have you taken time, when was the last time that you were, uh, you know, just went to, to, to attend a church in your association on a Sunday morning that you weren't preaching there because they needed pulpit supply? You say, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. And, and there may be all kinds of reasons in your mind that you can come up with. I'm not saying that's every Sunday. I'm just saying it ought to be some Sundays, right, where you just go and you're just there to say, hey, by way of presence, I'm here to support you. By way of presence, I'm here to, to support what's going on in the church. Look for ways to have personal involvement with your pastors and with your churches. Along with the personal involvement, you can guess that that would require then personal investment. You know, I think about um, Paul's love for the Thessalonians, right? And he talks about it, and he uses some, 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 some metaphors that are personal and that we understand. He uses some familial metaphors. In chapter 2, he talks about that we were so fondly affectionate for you that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel but our very lives as well. And then he uses the, the picture of a nursing mother, who, like one who nurtures her children, that Paul said, I was a nurturer to you. But then he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on to describe that as a father, he led them, he helped guide them, he exhorted them, he rebuked them, he encouraged them. He did these fatherly things. Well, those pictures to me look like what a personal investment in your pastors and in your churches would look like. 
when you think about different things, when you become aware that, hey, this church in the association has the biggest Christmas program, this church has the Easter program, maybe it's not the biggest, but if you find out that this church is doing a block party, would you just go by and show up? Would you just say, hey, can I give out waters? You're, you're doing a community 5K sponsorship event. I just want to be there to, to give out waters. You say, what good does that do? That's not really my job necessarily. This personal investment and involvement is what servant leadership is all about. And when pastors, and you know this as a pastor, right? When pastors begin to recognize that you're there to serve them, they won't quite mind as much when you come by and say, hey, listen, we're looking for a, a church to kind of take the lead on this initiative. Would you be open to that? I know you're doing this. I know you're doing that. You would really be a good fit for that. Guess what? They're going to understand. They're going to trust you. They know your heart. They've seen your heart. You've served them. They serve you. It's not quick pro quo or any of those types of things, but it is one of those that you understand that you're in partnership together, and they've seen your heart in that. Let me give you two quick other aspects of leadership that you might consider. The next one is what we might call situational leadership. Situational leadership. God has strategically placed you in the ministry context and association you're in with the churches that are in your association at a season that is specific and providential. You know what that means? That means when a church, uh, a church has a pastor leave or a church has a, a tragedy strike. Uh, a, a member of their youth group uh, died in a car accident or uh, some other type of, of tragedy that you could consider or think of. When a church has those types of things, when there is turmoil in a church, you're there, and you're there for a reason. And part of that is to be an aide, to be an assistant, to be someone who can help be a peacemaker. What am I talking about? I'm describing churches in one sense that are hurting. This isn't just churches in general, but it could be pastors, right? Churches that are hurting are those churches that I think of that are struggling financially. Maybe they're, they're just woefully behind budget. Their giving base has dried up. Members have passed on, uh, passed away, and now they, they don't know what to do next. They're struggling financially. Maybe their membership is, is dried up, and now attendance is, is lower, and they, they, they don't know how they're going to move forward. They're, they're lacking the critical mass it takes to get any traction and momentum in their ministry, and they don't know what to do next. Maybe the church as a whole is looking for that, or maybe the pastor of that church is looking for a friend, is looking for someone they can lean on, is looking for someone to offer wisdom and counsel and guidance. Maybe they're a, a church who's hurting, who's, who's looking for a pastor. Their pastor has resigned or retired, and they need some guidance and some leadership. Some of your role can be in a situational leadership is to come alongside churches that are hurting. Thinking about Paul's words to the Corinthians, again, in the greeting part of what we have as 2 Corinthians, and you think about Paul comforting the Corinthians. And you know the verses, right? Because they're verses you've shared at a funeral service or verses that you've shared with a family member or somebody in the hospital. You know, that, that the God of all comfort can comfort them and their afflictions and that God comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others. But do you recognize and realize the verses that immediately follow that are Paul describing an intense afflictions that he suffered and he did so in a way that then allowed or enabled him to partner together. He does the same thing in Colossians as he encourages them at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And in these ways, when you look at churches or pastors that are hurting, these are situational leadership that God has specifically enlisted you to assist in. Some of you know in your mind and in your heart because you've been through some of those situations. You've lived those as a pastor. You've walked through those seasons. And sometimes for us, when we've been through those seasons, it, it kind of becomes a little more comfortable to sit back and say, man, I remember when I was there. God bless them. And maybe you say a prayer for them. You ever pick up the phone, call them? Do you ever show up and encourage them? Taking time to say, I want to help the churches or the pastors that are hurting. Sometimes it's not those who are hurting. It's the pastors and the churches that need healing. You say, what's the difference? Well, those who are hurting are, are, are hurting because of, of struggles that aren't necessarily the result of a problem. They're just the life cycle that they're going through. 
these churches and pastors are the ones that are unhealthy, right? When you think about those churches that have uh, conflict, infighting, leadership issues, conflict among the staff, doctrinal disagreements, sin issues that are going on, all of these things require some, some intervention, some conflict resolution. And I know our tendency is to say, listen, I'm not poking my nose in where it doesn't belong. I'm not going to get my nose bit off because uh, for somebody else's problem or somebody else's issue. I'm not saying you intrude. Don't intrude. But make yourself available. When I think of uh, church staffs that I've been on where there's been conflict, whether in a leadership role or a support role, we needed desperately a third party to come in and just offer some help. And you guys hear of these things. You guys are, you, you know, you're aware, your ear is to the ground, your finger's on the pulse. You hear these things and you're aware of them. Finding out how you can assist in that, what you can do to help ease those pains or those hurts and help bring healing to that situation. Sometimes churches are, are kind of lost because they don't know who's right or wrong in this doctrinal disagreement. They don't know how to move past what really is what you and I would look at as kind of a, a third or fourth level type of doctrinal issue. But for some reason, it's caused unrest in the church. And we see that throughout Scripture. And a lot of times, Paul, not as the pastor of the church, but Paul is, is one who is there to support the church, comes alongside to help try to navigate and make peace within that. He helps try to straighten out. Some of you have had more theological, doctrinal, ministerial training than a lot of the pastors in your association. And so when they don't know how to navigate it or churches don't know how to navigate it, you're the one that does. Can you help them understand those doctrinal differences? Can you help them understand how to get past those doctrinal differences? Helping these churches that need healing is one of the things that I think association mission strategists can come along churches and help do. So we've got all types of different types of leadership, scriptural leadership and strategic and spiritual servant and situational leadership. I want to talk about one final uh, type of leadership, and, and this is simply a, an encouragement to you. One, don't take this as a finger pointing. Take it more as a pat on the back, okay? Um, but sometimes we can get lost within ourselves, and we need to make, make sure that we're maintaining what I would call maybe sensible leadership. We've got to keep our heads Okay, because things sometimes in the associational level or in relationships with other churches or with different things going on, we can kind of get sideways in that. And we have to understand, how do I continue to exercise sensible leadership? As Paul said and, and as Peter said, we have to exercise sober judgment, that sound judgment. How do you exercise wisdom? Well, we have to recognize that there's some things in our own hearts that we have to eliminate and make sure that we kind of avoid. One is that we have to see that there's no place for public arguments. There's not really a place for public arguments. I realize, and I've been in some contentious associational meetings. I have as a pastor, and, and I realize that those, those things can, can be there. There's a place for discourse and disagreement, but there's not a place for public arguments. And we have to help mitigate those, not just in associational meetings, but in ways where we would then become... A, a part of a church problem and cause the problem to be worse. Um, while I would say, hey, listen, you may be a first responder in a church emergency doctrinal issue or disagreement, ultimately, you have to be careful that you don't somehow instigate. And I've seen uh, associational leaders uh, come in and take the reins and, and they go too far with how heavy-handed they may be or how inciting they may be or if they're not really understanding the source of the issues or the disagreements and that it's based on maybe specific members and long-standing members and influential members and all these types of things. And if you don't know how to navigate those things, we all know what that can turn into. It can turn into a big mess where you thought it was just going to be plain and simple. Let me just tell you how it is and that's it. Don't instigate public arguments and certainly help mediate those public arguments when they arise and help resolve them. Uh, don't let it get out of hand and certainly don't let the association become a place where uh, dissension arises and continues. This is going to be kind of a personal challenge, one that I think we will all say, well, that's not my intention, but we can all slip into if we're not careful, and that's that we can't have any political agendas. I don't mean that in the red and blue Republican, Democrat political type of way. 
Okay, so don't, don't all of a sudden put your guard up and say, hey, wait a minute, what are we about to get into here? No, no, I know better than to talk about politics in a room full of, you know, Baptists, okay? But when it comes to personal political agendas, not just that we could be guilty of them, but that other pastors may be guilty of them. Or that churches in our association may say, hey, you know what? That missions money is, is sitting there in that account. We'd like to do a missions thing, but we really don't have the money to do it. I just want to kind of create a, an atmosphere that would, of support that would support our church taking that money and using it for our church event. Have I ever seen that happen? Yeah. There's no room for political agendas. And we have to make sure that we're mindful of those and we navigate those with wisdom and that we kind of mitigate those when they, they come up. Whether that's us too, by the way, um, you know, that, that we, we're not, we don't have an agenda we're trying to promote. We can't ever be accused of, of being in a situation that we're trying to uh, accomplish anything other than the kingdom-oriented mission strategist task that we've been given. When we get into where we are trying to maneuver in such a way as to help connect and, and, and politic, if you will, between different churches of the association, we've become part of the problem, not part of the solution. We have to be mindful of that. And then lastly, I would say that there's no place for personal ambition. Um, this, again, is, is kind of a sensitive subject for all of us to consider if we're going to take a hard look in the mirror. This doesn't mean that we're, you know, somehow uh, not a motivated person or that we don't want to grow or, you know, improve or uh, become accomplished, that we, that we don't have any kind of sense of drive. But it is to say that we don't have a personal ambition to say, you know what, I want to become best friends with the biggest, uh, the, the pastor of the biggest church in my association because it would somehow benefit me more. I want to become more recognizable in the, on the state level with the, the state group of association mission strategists. And so I'm going to strategically position myself. And again, I'm talking in a way that if we ever heard ourselves say that, we'd say, dude, that's foolish. That's crazy. That's prideful. But it's not in that voice that we hear it. We hear it in just kind of the subtle, manipulative desires of our heart that lead us to pick up a phone to make a, send a text, to comment on a social media post, or to maybe drop a little hint after a meeting with a handshake. Those types of things that we think will somehow benefit us personally. And the goal is not about any one of us individually. The only one person it's about is Jesus himself. And so we have to make sure that there's no place in our own life and roles and ministries for personal ambition. So when you think about these types of leadership, I hope that there'll be categories that can help you maybe establish a paradigm of pockets of different concepts and leadership places where you say, hey, I'm responsible to do this, I'm responsible to that, and maybe it'll help you even streamline your calendar, maybe it'll help you get a better handle on what am I trying to accomplish and where does it fit into that. And then when you look at different elements of, for instance, discipleship or some of these other aspects that we're talking about today and tomorrow, that you would look at where it fits into these types of leadership. And then you would say, now my job is to replicate these types of leaderships in, in others. And that's where we began, right? Well, we're multiplying leaders to become future association mission strategists, to where we're helping them see, what is it that you do? What is your job description? What is your role or responsibility? You know and I know, man, you guys are strategic partners, and it can't be answered in one sentence. But these categories can help summarize what it is that you're called to do. So with that, I want to have a prayer, but then I also maybe want to take a few moments for, for questions or answers or maybe dialogue, maybe something that was said that sparked a thought or that made you kind of think, well, I'm not real sure about that, and then maybe we can kind of proceed from there. But let me say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your great love for us, and I thank you for the calling that you've placed on these um, servants of yours. Lord, I thank you for the place that you have positioned them strategically. Father, I thank you for the association they're in, for the state they're in, for the cities and the communities they serve. I thank you, God, for their faithful years of service. Lord, I thank you for those who are kind of new into this role, how they're learning, and they, they feel like they're drinking from that fire hose. God, I pray that in every situation, in every circumstance, in every season of life that these association mission strategists find themselves in, that you would meet them at that point 
and that you would help them to grow into a strategic leader, developing as a leader and developing other leaders. Help us, O oh God, as we do this in partnership with one another, expanding the kingdom and fulfilling the Great Commission. We pray it all now in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've got a few minutes, uh, about five or so, maybe left for uh, questions. And so maybe some things came up, or maybe you thought, hey, there's some, some I can relate to that, or I've got a story or an anecdote uh, that can that can kind of accentuate that point. Any questions or thoughts that we might share for the, the, the overall greater good of the group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question, um, and I think a lot of times um, when we when we lump them together or assume that they're synonymous terms, uh, that we grow in danger more so of gravitating towards non-missional ministry. And by that, I just simply mean that we become kind of focused on churches anyways, become focused on their internal rather than going out. So it's kind of us gather. So when I say, hey, how do we help churches collaborate in ministry? That's doing local ministry. They would focus on believers. They would focus on the family of faith in that local church. They would say, our ministry resources won't allow us to do something like this. I'll give you a, a small example um, that you could probably relate to or maybe that you've seen. Um, one of the most common ways, and youth pastors are leading the charge on this, one of the most common ways I see collaboration in ministry specifically is if you look at things like a See at the Pole Rally, Fields of Faith, D-Nows, smaller churches don't have the resources to pay a band, to pay a speaker, or even the facilities to host something like that. Larger churches and youth pastors of larger churches have started saying, hey, listen, we recognize that, and for the benefit of our group to have other churches involved, this would benefit all of us. So let's collaborate in this ministry, this one specific ministry idea. Well, that's just one example of a youth ministry type thing, but what if churches were doing more of those things? Where instead of replicating ministries that they're doing, that they collaborated in those ministries. When I say cooperating in missions, it helps them see how they're reaching the community. Some of the ministry may be more, again, focused on, hey, these are our members. The, the difficulty you have with that, and this is kind of a soapbox or side note issue, uh, the difficulty you have with that is churches become so protective of their, their members that they don't want them, you know, involved with other members of other churches. But when I look at ministry in that sense, I'm talking, it's kind of like, um, you know, in, in, in Acts, uh, chapter 2 and of course the next chapter 4 where they begin to share and have all these things together in common uh, that wasn't the community at large there was no way their resources could provide that right and when they brought things to the apostles and even the Ananias and Sapphira it was to benefit the household of faith and Paul even says in Galatians 6 10 right that to do good to all people especially those of the household of faith and so when we use ministry as I do there, I'm specifically talking about how do we minister among our members and to the community of faith in our secular community. So these are members of the churches. These are believers. And how do we collaborate in those efforts? Cooperating in missions is how do we cooperate in reaching the lost around us? Some of those ministries may be outreach ministries. And so those things may, in fact, dovetail together. But not all of them. But then you also look at if, in fact, you look at uh, ministries that don't have the resources to do what they would love to do as a smaller church or as uh, this type of church. Same thing with missions. Well, they can't afford to go, um, oh, I don't know, to East Asia or even Central America or Brazil. Okay, but guess what? The larger church down the road is plans an annual mission trip with an adopted people group, and they go every year. Have they ever once considered that smaller church in your association to say, hey, do you have anybody who would want to go with us on this mission trip so your church can be participating in global missions beyond what you could do on your own? Those are, those are types of examples of maybe how I would distinguish between those two, if that makes sense. Great question. Yep. Great example.
And they just needed somebody to kind of connect connect the two. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. I, I was part of a a, um, a search committee that was uh, hiring a, a senior pastor to church one time, and we were uh, interviewing this pastor. And this candidate had come down, and he was, it was he was definitely the leading candidate and stuff. Well, he was on staff at a, a church across town. And, um, you know, I actually asked the question, so how are they going to feel? They, they didn't know. The other church didn't know, right? How are they going to feel um, if they find out and, and you ultimately feel like God's leading this? We see the same thing, and, and you ultimately come to be the pastor of this church. And his answer was so encouraging to me. He said, you know, the, the staff at that church would only see it as, hey, we're holding up this end of the net. You're grabbing that end of the net. We're all pulling on the same net trying to catch fish for Jesus. That's what it should be. And when we do collaborate in ministry, we do present a model for our young people. We present a model for our people to where there's not this co competition. There's cooperation, right? Other questions or thoughts related to these things or otherwise? Yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah. And sometimes they're overcoming a lot of fears and they perhaps fail to share with you. All right. So, so how do you build up that sort of leadership trust within the, the pastors that you're talking about? Perhaps a quicker way. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that was the twist in that. that man, how do, how do you expedite that? Um, you know, pastoral ministry experience will teach you that, that – Quick change oftentimes results in uh, yeah, resignation, unhealthy circumstances is what I was going to say. But I have found that, that when people have been through, let's say, uh, uh, not necessarily failed leadership or, or, or difficult or just unhealthy leadership of some kind, or just, hey, there's older leadership, this is new leadership coming in, one of the best ways to do to me that wins trust the most is just to listen. You're not digging for anything. You don't have any agenda, but you're just saying, hey, what can I do? How could the association serve you better? If, if the association was serving in an ideal fashion, what would it look like? Uh, you know, tell me about your church. You know, what are you guys doing? And to where, again, the pastor sees you as a friend, as an assistant, as a supporter of his ministry. And, and if you could begin to meet individually, the pastor, again, that's still going to take time. I mean, unless you book out your calendar for two months, every weekday for two months maybe, but it's still going to take time, but I think it's going to require that. Uh, I don't think it's going to be by, hey, I've got this figured out and try and press this in. You're going to have to model that.